0: The world is filled with stories of grace. The powerful, the powerless, the rich and the poor, the mentally anguished, those who apparently have life all together, but do they really? I was preaching in the Philippines and heard firsthand a story of grace. That Sunday, At a large church in Manila, a young mom nervously shared. She was given to a wealthy older man. She was his mistress and bore a child. He had his own marriage, not including her. But then she met Jesus, left her security, not knowing her future apart from Christ. Yet her eternity was finally safe in Jesus. Every Christian has a story of God's grace. Your story may not seem as dramatic as others, Your life may not be as interesting as someone else, but Christ has saved you, made you one of his own, and now lives in your life by his Holy Spirit. Then you have an amazing story to tell. Welcome to Haven Today. Here it is Wednesday, and I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're in a series this week called How Sweet the Sound. This year, marking the 250th anniversary of the hymn Amazing Grace, the history of the hymn is remarkable, and it's something we've dug into for going on two weeks now. John Newton, a former slave trader, radically changed by the gospel of grace, putting his heart for the Lord on a page. And thus was born the most famous hymn in the English language. It speaks to every Christian's experience. The experience of being far away from the Lord. The experience of feeling consumed with guilt. The experience of feeling unlovable because of maybe our own failures. And the experience of joy and relief when we accept the Lord's forgiveness and love for us. Yesterday we talked about the first stanza of this hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now I see It's a beautiful description of what it looks like To become a follower of Jesus Eyes opening, the sweet invitation of love To a wretched sinner And the second stanza is just as powerful But it takes a little more work to see it Here's... The second stanza, as sung by Judy Collins. words sung by the incomparable Judy Collins, she recorded that hit version in the mid-1960s after hearing it used at civil rights marches. She said John Newton was a man who evolved from a slave ship captain to a writer of powerful hymns and changed his entire life, becoming a model for spiritual transformation. And that's what we need today once again. Well, Judy Collins, may not have been a Christian, but she was so right, even if she didn't point people to the author of grace, Jesus Christ. We're going to think about this more on this program today. Why does grace teach us to fear? And how does grace relieve those fears? Stay with me as we ponder these deep and transformative questions. I asked Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh, the leading scholar on the life of John Newton today, to briefly summarize who John Newton was. Well, John Newton
1: would be known for, maybe people might know that he wrote Amazing Grace and other hymns, Glorious Things of the Earth Spoken, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds and some of these hymns. Some people might know that he was a friend of William Wilberforce and he encouraged him in the abolition campaign against slavery. In England. England. Mm -hmm. And some people might also know that he was a friend of the poet William Cooper. These are some of the ways that people maybe sort of have heard his name. But his story is so interesting. 30 years ago when I started working on Newton, I was working on his theology and his ministry, and he was an absolutely key figure in the early evangelical awakening in Britain. But for this book... A biography. We
0: looked at the whole of his life, and I was reminded, Charles, what a remarkable story. If you don't know what he meant by the hymn "Amazing Grace," all you need to know are those two lines that he said as he almost was, as yeah. he was dying. Yeah, and he was almost dead. Yeah. Share those lines with us. well
1: That's right, Charles. He said, um, "You know, many of us have uh, loved ones who, near the end of their age, begin losing their memories and so on." And he said, "My memory is nearly gone." But I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Mm-hmm. And it is like as he he lived long enough to really reckon with the depth of his iniquity as a young person, the depth of his sinfulness. And as you get closer to the light of Jesus Christ, more purity show up. And as he walked toward Jesus, he, just let that, he let himself be exposed. And I think his repentance and his contrition and his humility grew deeper and deeper and his trust in
0: Christ even more deeper. And that's reflected in those lines, isn't it? Mm. That's Bruce Heinmarsh talking about the life of John Newton. After the program, I'd like to send you the newly released book that he and Craig Borlase wrote together called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his Song." you really need to read the story of a slave trader who met Jesus and then wrote the most loved hymn of all time. I've been hearing from so many people who've read the book already saying that this biography reads more like a novel. And so many are saying they had no idea the great challenges and the sin that Newton faced in his life. It's no wonder he wrote that amazing grace was such a sweet sound I know when you read this new hardback book, you too will be filled with joy as you see how Christ's grace can transform the hardest of hearts. So why don't you call us after the program? Why don't you go to our website and download the sample chapter we have from the book? And then you can make your gift either by phone or there on the website at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. Our number to call is 865-HAVEN. 865 Haven. And why don't you also think about getting one for yourself, as well as sending one to someone you know who needs to hear this powerful story of grace. And now let's open the program. Let's open with Matt Redman.
2: It's there in the newborn cry, there in the light of every sunrise. There in the shadows of this life, your great grace, is there on the mountain tall, there in the everyday. The same for the rich and poor The same for the saints and for the sinner Enough for this whole wide world Your great grace Oh such grace
0: It's a song that he made into a hit called Your Grace Finds Me. Matt Redman has his own story of grace, and he shared it on this program in years past. A haven today called How Sweet the Sound. I'm Charles Morris. Yesterday, we looked at the very first verse of Amazing Grace, and now I want us to think about the second verse. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. It has the same rhythm. It has the same tune. And it's also all about that first moment of salvation and what went before it. And I wonder how often we think about the words here. We sing them. Do we ponder them? The first thing that strikes me is that grace is called precious, Now that reminds me of Paul's great exclamation in Ephesians 2, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us. Paul might as well have been saying God, because of his precious love, made us alive together with Christ. Precious. It speaks to the infinite value of grace. Stanza 1, and the title of the hymn calls it Amazing Grace. But here, it's precious grace. It tells us that grace isn't just powerful or amazing. It doesn't just do things. Grace is also an immeasurably valuable gift. It's something we receive, something to be treasured. And that also means it's something we could never afford, no matter how wealthy we are. It's too precious for that. No amounts of gold or silver or cash could ever equal its value, yet the Lord gives it to us at no charge. And that brings me to something else that strikes me about this hymn, and it goes back to what this precious grace does. John Newton says that the grace of the Lord did two things, taught him to fear, but also relieved his fear. Now that may sound like a contradiction. Why would the Lord teach us something just to get rid of that something? Why would he try to make us afraid just to relieve our fear. Oftentimes we just sing this verse without really thinking about the verse, so it kind of just slides by, doesn't it? And it is a difficult idea to think through. I don't think John Newton had in mind a God who terrorizes his people, and I don't think we should think that way either. Some people are cruel, and they enjoy scaring animals just to lure them back in with a treat so they can repeat the scare all over again. But our Lord is not like that. That's not what this hymn is all about. When the people of Israel were gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, they were afraid. And later on in Deuteronomy 18, Moses would remember their fear. He would remind them that they said they couldn't even bear to see or hear what was happening anymore. They feared for their lives. And what was happening? Here's how Exodus describes it. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. So fear and trembling and smoke and the sound of a trumpet and thunder and lightning, what a terrifying scene that must have been. It's not surprising that those ancient followers of the Lord were terrified. But this wasn't the Lord showing up just to make his people frightened, afraid. This was the Lord showing up. His presence was overwhelming. His glory. And that was the point in Exodus here. And that was the point later in Exodus when Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. The Lord said, no one can see my glory or else they would die. His very presence is overwhelming. In his encounter with the Lord, John Newton was taught fear. I think... This is what he meant. He felt the Lord's presence, and he was overwhelmed. The Lord's nearness brought him to a place of fear, of recognizing that God is God. Yet in that fearful encounter on Mount Sinai, these were the Lord's first words to his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's grace, if I've ever heard it. Yes, the Lord's presence was fearful and overwhelming. In his appearance at Mount Sinai, he taught the Israelites to fear. And that was grace, because it opened them up to the possibility of hearing those words. That fear was relieved by grace. The presence of our liberating Lord, the Lord of the covenant who brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He taught them fear, but hearing his saving grace relieved their fear. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved when you first came to Christ, wasn't it similar? The Lord's presence overwhelmed you, you realized that he knew all about you, that there was nothing you could do to earn his precious grace. You felt afraid, but in that fear, you also saw the saving grace of Christ, that Jesus loved us despite our failure. The fear that gripped us was washed away because we realized that the same Lord whose presence could shake the mountain was also the Lord who could melt our heart of stone. Your fears were relieved. Think about Peter on the day he met Jesus, fishing, not catching anything. And then Jesus told him to cast his net on the other side. And to no surprise to us, of course, the net became so full of fish But the net began to break. And Luke tells us what happened next. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken that day. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then remember what Jesus said to Simon? Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Simon Peter experienced the presence of the Lord, the powerful presence of Jesus, God in the flesh. And when he realized what had just happened, his first response was fear. The gracious presence of Christ taught his heart to fear. He was immediately aware of how far short he fell. He became aware of his sin. And just like Israel and just like us, He was overwhelmed in the presence of the Lord. But the Lord met that fear with the same grace that melts our fears away. Don't be afraid. In real time, Peter was taught to fear. But in that very hour, the grace of Christ appeared and relieved his fear. Now I must say to you that grace is still working today. And it's available to you today. Yes, it may seem overwhelming, and it might even seem a little scary. But it is possible. But it's there for you. As the hymn reminds you, from the hour we first believed, we don't need to earn this precious grace. We never could. We just need to receive this grace and to believe on Christ and trust that his presence isn't going to harm us that He is here and came to love us and care for us from now on until the day we meet Him face to face. Amazing
3: grace, how sweet the sound that
0: So many versions we've had to choose from these last days. That's Carrie Underwood and Amazing Grace on Haven Today. How sweet the sound. When we began our time together, we heard again from my friend, Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. It's no exaggeration for me to say he is the expert scholar on John Newton living today. And that said, I've really enjoyed talking with this friend over the last few years about Newton's life. The facts and tidbits in his mind are so intriguing to hear as we have conversation and break bread together. And the one thing I really so appreciate about Bruce is he has a pastor's heart. He's not just a scholar. He wants to help all of us better understand the gospel in the life of Newton and the writing of Amazing Grace. And I think you will see both of these coming together when you read the new book he co-wrote with best-selling author Craig Borlase called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. Can you believe it? 250 years since Amazing Grace was first written and sung. And this new hardback tells the story more like a novel than a dry old book of history. It's the best Christian biography my wife has ever read. And I think you'll say the very same thing after you've read the story of how grace and mercy in Christ changed John Newton's life. So for your gift to the ministry, I want to send you a copy of this just out book, Amazing Grace. Go to our website and there you can download and read a free sample chapter from the book. But then make your gift at haventoday.org. Haventoday org or to get the book and make your gift call us right now at 865 Haven 865 Haven and may I mention as well that this book would make a wonderful gift to both a Christian or a non-christian so get one for yourself and get another to share and just before we need to go you may listen every day to Haven today And if this program is a blessing to you, may I invite you to become a Haven Partner. That's someone who prays regularly and gives automatically monthly to partner with us to share this great story. And if you'll just get in touch with us, we'll tell you about an extra special gift that we have for you when you become a Haven Partner. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again together, We'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus. You're on Haven today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. If you ever played sports growing up, you know that some of the most challenging moments for any team is at the very beginning of the season, conditioning. The team sprints, the back and forths, the hill climbs, push-ups, over and over, getting your body into shape so that you're ready to compete. There's a glory there, undergoing tremendous stress with an ultimate goal in mind, understanding that it is the stress itself that's preparing you for something greater. Here's how Paul put it, our light momentary affliction works for us more and more, and exceeding weight of glory. We all suffer. But in Christ, our suffering is paving the path for all of us to glory. Spend more time with Jesus. Visit GetAnchored.com.